The Premiere On Podcast is brought to you today by our friends at Java Remix. Java Remix is the perfect blend of 100% organic Arabica coffee infused with nano-emulsified CBD. Cannabidiol, or CBD, is fast gaining a reputation as a remedy to treat everything from anxiety to depression, inflammation to acne. And now it's available in your morning cup of Java. Go to javaremix.com right now and browse through their available products. Java Remix offers traditional ground coffee as well as single-serve K-cups in both regular and decaf. And if you aren't a coffee person, Java Remix also offers CBD-infused teas, bath bombs, and body scrubs. And for our Prove Me Wrong listeners, go online right now, that's javaremix.com, and enter the promo code PROVEMEWRONG for a 20% discount off your entire shopping experience. And Java Remix also offers free shipping on all orders over $40. Once again, that's javaremix.com. Promo code prove me wrong. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Prove Me Wrong podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Pete Lee, but I'm glad you're on board with me today. I have a great show lined up for you today. We're going to talk vampires, but not the classic blood-sucking version of the vampire you're probably familiar with. Instead, we're going to go a little more abstract and discuss something we're calling energy vampires, individuals who knowingly or unknowingly feed on your energy and your emotions. They enter a room and you just it just seems to take the air out of it. I'm sure anybody listening right now has somebody in mind that whenever they walk into the room, you instantly feel uh, let down, the air kind of comes out of the room, or maybe you even begin to feel physically sick. They leave you feeling drained, agitated, and long-term relationships with an energy vampire could potentially have severe and lasting effects mentally and physically. So what can you do to protect yourself? To explore that topic today and provide some guidance as to protection strategies, we're going to talk with psychic Lisa Campion. Lisa is a psychic counselor, a Reiki master teacher, and an energy healer, as well as an author. Her speciality is in training psychics, empaths, sensitives, and healers to fully develop their gifts. You can find more about Lisa online at her webpage, lisacampion.com. It's spelled just like champion without the H, lisacampion.com, where you can schedule private sessions, sign up for classes to improve your individual abilities, or you can also read her book, The Art of Psychic Reiki. Uh, I'm sure you can probably get that on Amazon. And so I'm happy to have Lisa with me today, and welcome to the Prove Me Wrong podcast. Thanks, Pete. I'm super happy to be on your podcast. I appreciate that. I need to talk about energy vampires today. Yay! Yay, absolutely. Before we do that, though, if, if possible, I would like to talk to you first about being a psychic and becoming a psychic. Uh, just maybe spend a couple of minutes on that. To me, that is it's fascinating to me. When did you know, or was there a moment or a situation in time where you decide, where you realized that you had psychic abilities? Well, I think I'm one of those people that always had them. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. one of those I see dead people kids. You yeah. know, and I, I I grew up outside of Boston, where I live in the '60s and '70s. Um, back when there were no psychics on TV, there were no New Age bookstores nothing like that. So I, I really had uh, learned very early to sort of hide what I did and not talk about it. Because if you talk about angels and seeing dead people, they put you in the mental hospital, you know? No Which, doubt. It never happened to me, thank God, because I learned, I knew, I learned 
quickly that I had to sort of pretend to be normal <laughs> and um and and not and not really talk about this stuff so much. So I kind of figured out slowly and surely on my own. I got a lot of my early child education by watching horror movies and paranormal horror movies and kind of gleaning what information I could out of that. But I did start working as a psychic when I was 19, and that was kind wow. of at the dawn of the new age back in the 80s. And I I don't know why I thought I could do it. Just when you're 19, you just think you can do stuff, so you do. And um, that's when I started my practice, and I've been doing it ever since. So did you do, you did readings on people? Yeah, I did readings on people. And when, and when I was really young, I, I could make the connection, but I... I learned I wanted to study counseling and psychology because I would I would tell somebody something and then they would cry and I'd be like, oh, crap, what do I do now? Like, I, you know, I don't know how to help them beyond delivering the message. So I studied counseling and psychology because I wanted to help people heal from whatever was going on with them. And then about 20 years ago, I added energy medicine into my mix. Um, I had started seeing energy around people. I was starting to see things that was happening. I'm a visual psychic, so I see, see stuff. Mm-hmm. I was starting to see energy and things happening in people's bodies, and I wanted a way to access that. So I learned Reiki 20 years ago, and I also now teach in a energy medicine school, full-spectrum energy medicine school with my business partner, Reese Thomas. It's called the Reese Thomas Institute. So really for the past, I don't know, 30 years, I've been working with people and, and and really helping other people. I really love to train sensitive, psychics, empaths, intuitive people to handle their gifts because I had to learn the school of hard knocks way, which was difficult. And, and if I can help somebody learn in an easier way, that's a really good day for me. How do you validate that somebody actually has abilities? Well, you know, a lot of times people will just tell me, they'll be like, I, you know, I'm really sensitive, I'm an empath, I feel everything that everybody is feeling, or they, they're they beginning to have psychic experiences. And I, I think that people are becoming more and more psychic. Mm-hmm. I think the kid, the children that are born these days and the teenagers that are in are way more psychic. Like every generation seems to be more sensitive. And then I think a lot of the things that we do kind of normally, like yoga, Reiki, meditation, those activities that are very normal and available to everybody also open people up even more. So if you have like latent psychic ability and then you do something like that, it's going to pop you open. And then people have like a, like a sudden psychic opening or like kind of a psychic crisis, spiritual crisis, because they're freaked out. They're seeing things, Mm -hmm. they're feeling things and they don't know how to handle it. And that's kind of where I like to work. Well, depending on where you fall on afterlife, reincarnation, things like that. I, I think it's not hard at all for me to believe that children especially are are sensitive. You just have too many stories of children talking about past lives or talking about things that had happened to them that they should have no knowledge of at all. And maybe to your point, we have gotten to a point in our society where that isn't shunned anymore, that's not kind of pushed into a closet any longer. Because at some point, if you tell a child you didn't see that, that's not real, that's not right. Eventually they start to kind of compartmentalize it and push it down, and then it, maybe it is lost. It's like a muscle that they no longer flex. But we're, right. in a, we're in a part in our society now where that's okay. Tell us what you feel. Tell us how you feel it. And maybe that is, mm-hmm. to your point, kind of uh, opening up some doors that we were shutting on purpose previously. 
Absolutely. You're you're absolutely right, Pete. And I, I see that happen a lot with back in my generation, if you had an imaginary friend absolutely. You're about it. Your 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 parents told you to, to be quiet about it and you know, or or it would scare your parents. Like I, I worked with one woman who when she was little, her mother was so afraid of her psychic abilities that, you know, they took her to the priest and the priest threw holy water on her and like scared her and, and she learned really after that to not ever do that and then she came to uh, to me when she was in her 40s to open open up what she had to shut down when she was a kid. Any aberrant behavior back in That's the day right. w- was destroyed. It was killed. It was pushed yeah. down. You had to be part of the of the crowd. And and now we're much more uh, forgiving to you know uniqueness. You know, whereas before it was you had to be part of the crowd. Exactly, and I think we're even more. Um, the whole paranormal world is a lot more mm-hmm. normalized. So there's psychics all over TV. There's psychic bookstores. There's every paranormal TV show. You know, there's whole channels that do nothing but paranormal TV. So I feel like it's it's become a little more mainstream. It's like slightly more accepted, and it's still something that triggers a lot of people. Like you know, they think it's not great. It's from the devil. It's evil and um, that's really hard if you're if you have a lot of ability and you are, mm-hmm. and you're growing up in an environment like that. And it's there's still plenty of people that feel that way. But I think overall there's a bigger level of acceptance for that kind of ability. So in your work, good. initially you were just telling people the information and that would make them cry. And so you got into more of the psychology of of the delivery as just as much as the the actual information. Is that when yeah. you really started to see what we what we're terming energy vampires? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, that's exactly right. And then even as I started seeing energy in people, I could see it even more. And I think the first time I really, the penny dropped for me on this, is I had a client, she was older than me. I think this was probably 10 or 15 years ago. And she she was sort of a middle-aged woman and she would come in and she would just be, she was sick as a dog. She had horrible energy depletion. She was like chronically ill. She had a terrible immune system. She was always sick. And I would I would do Reiki and we would talk and I'd, you know, do my thing and kind of plump her back up again and she would leave feeling good. And then she'd come back like a week or two later, like an empty balloon is kind of how I would feel. be like, what happened to you, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I couldn't figure out what's going on until one day her husband picked her up from her. She was so weak, she couldn't drive. And her husband picked her up and her husband, who is the same age as her, looked like 10 or 20 years younger than she did. He was like super vital, like really like this handsome, charismatic, like vital guy. And I like he took her arm and I could see energetically like this cord between them that looked like in my psychic vision, like the kind of like um, that the hose you put in your in your in your car to fill it up with gas, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he like stuck that in her and I could see him starting to drain all the energy that she had just gotten out of the session and I was like oh my god okay now I understand what's happening here it was the first time I really was like this is an energy vampire and I didn't there, there wasn't a word for that back then but I knew that's what was happening and, and the, as weird as it sounds I did not know the term either and I was introduced to it in a, in a comical way there's a there's a show called things we do in the dark I don't know if you've you've seen it yeah it's, it's yeah, based it's on funny. a movie right and and they <laughs> yeah, have the so three funny. Oh my God! It, it's it's so hysterically funny, and they they've got the three typical vampires, quote unquote typical, and then they've got that energy vampire, and I had never heard of it before until I saw that show, and they do it so comically. But then I, I started looking up the term because I had never heard it, and that's when I came across you, 
And it's not a laughing matter. I think in, in the real world applications, it's probably horrible. And But that's why I wanted to talk to you because I had never heard of it before. And what is the difference in uh, the term energy vampire versus just what we would call a toxic person? Well, I think that um, toxic people kind of come in a lot of different categories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there there's many different types of toxicity. You can have somebody that has addictions or somebody that's really like narcissistic or those kinds of things. But it, an energy vampire is really a person who hasn't learned how to uh, take care of themselves or fill their energy tanks in their own, you know, on their own. And they really require energy from another person. And they're really like, so far I've, I've found four different types of energy vampires. So there's not even just one type. They're, there's four of them, and the, mm-hmm. the worst kind is, or the most dangerous kind, is the predatory vampire, which, you know, we think of as a, a seriously narcissistic person or a psychopathic person. You can, if you, this is where studying psychology came in handy, because if you look up, you know, the the qualities of a psychopath, um, that's what you find, is that they, and even narcissists will, severe, extreme, I'm not talking about your garden variety narcissist, but your they're narcissistic to the point of being a psychopath mm-hmm. and they will latch on to another person that they call that that person is called their narcissist their like energy battery or their narcissistic supply person and they will drain their physical energy, their psychic energy, their emotional energy, their money, you know, the the food in their fridge, all their resources, their credit, the the gas in their car like all of of their resources become the resources of the energy vampire because they really are kind of incapable of figuring out how to get energy on their own. I mean, I guess you would say that it's almost the path of least resistance. Yeah, just take somebody else's versus create your own. Right. Yeah, and these people who are who are severely narcissistic and psychopathic, they don't have any empathy. I mean, that's the definition of a psychopath: yeah. a person that's without empathy. And they tend to latch on to sensitive empath type people who who are very caring. That you know, the highly sensitive person, the empathic person, the kind person. Um, feels like, well, I'll love them if I love them enough. I, you know, uh, I can fill them. It's, I can, it's, it's like they're a black hole in a way and that you, you throw enough energy into them, like with the hope that they'll heal, that they'll come around, that they'll, you know, eventually return your love. They're kind of incapable that those really predatory vampires are really incapable of love or empathy of any kind. They're, they're just like, it's sort of harsh to say, but like con men or, mm-hmm. you know, they they will often target a person who they, they will scan scan their crowd and their environment and, and actually target the person that looks like the weakest or the most easy to con in a way. And it can be extremely charming, handsome, good looking, beautiful. They have usually a lot of sex appeal. They're very shape shifty and they're quite psychic. So they will use their psychic ability to figure out who you will respond to, like, the most like what's the most appealing to you and then they will like morph into becoming that kind of person and then they usually spend a certain amount of time like hooking you um attracting you Mm -hmm. love bombing is love bombing is the term people use for that until you're really hooked and once they've got you hooked then they start the drain all of a sudden they need money all of a sudden they need your time oh can they take your car can you give them a car can you you know they quit their job and all of a sudden you're supporting them like that um, and they, they're really without remorse in a way, and they'll just drain you until you're you're done and then move on. They move on. They, you know, they find somebody else. What are some of the other types? 
the predatory type is the most dangerous. They're the most likely to really hurt you uh-huh. um, and, and really run you over, you know. Fortunately, they're the most rare. So I don't know what the percentage of the population is. I think it's like 1% of the population falls in that category. But it's much more common to have the next kind, which is the victim vampire. And a, a victim vampire is somebody who who hasn't figured out how to live empowered in their own life and oftentimes they have real really something wrong or really they've had they've had a difficult life or mm-hmm. they're ill or there's some kind of emotional issues some they come by their victim status honestly but they've learned how to use that to get what they want you know almost everybody's going to have an encounter with one of these types and it's like that friend that when you know you when they call you're like you roll your eyes and you're like oh I don't want to pick up the phone because that person this, you know, they like to complain. They, they're not really uh, motivated to actually change. Right. So they, they just want to complain. They want to bend your ear. They talk about the same thing for an hour. They sort of emotionally rant. They're, they're not interested in moving forward. And then you hang up. And they often use guilt and um, as a manipulator. Um, oh, you haven't called me in so long, you know, <laughs> like that kind of um, thing. And, and they, they just start gaining um, energy from your attention and from kind of working their victim status to their best degree, whatever they can get out of it. So, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, as you're saying these, these different types, you know, you you start to roll them back in your brain to situations you've had in your life with exactly those type of people. And you're absolutely right. The person who they're calling you, but under the guise of calling to say hi to you, but in reality, it's, just oh well, you know, I this happened to me, and this and my car broke down, and I don't have the money to take care of the car, and I'm, my back is hurting, and uh, I don't know, I should probably go to the doctor, and just one thing after another after another. And you're right, right. It, it does absolutely, and and so the p- point where I'll be looking at the clock, just thinking, how much longer do I have to sit here and, and listen to that? Exactly. And then when you're done talking to them, you need a nap. Oh, oh my know? goodness. For sure. But it's that, or it's that person that's like in a horrible relationship and they never get out of it. They just want to complain about it mm-hmm. for an hour, and they're not, they're not, they're not actually invested in change and empowering themselves because they're. This is a. Ter- it sounds terribly harsh, but they're actually receiving sort of a benefit out of holding on to their victim status. And I mean, we're all victims. We've all had terrible things happen to us. Right. Where we've all, you know, we've all had been through the the ringer. We all have and. There's people. There are people who take those experiences and learn and grow and and get the help they need and get therapy and go to whatever healers they do and then and, and it's sort of an empowerment process for them. And then there are other people who kind of get stuck in the quagmire of their wounds and um, kind of roll around in them because they've learned how to how to get something out of it. So what is some some of the most flagrant, and I I know you mentioned the the man and his wife, was there another instance of just some really flagrant energy stealing that you've seen in in the years that you've been doing this? Yeah, one of them was really really hard for me to watch, and it was um, kind of like this, more of this, just kind of a combination of a victim vampire and a predatory vampire. And um, what I saw her doing was um, stealing energy from her own kids. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they were and they were kind of little, but I could see her like connect energetically connecting to them and sort of really sucking their energy, really taking um, everything that they did was really about her. 
So any accomplishments that they did were, were her accomplishments. Any pain was her pain. And I mean, beyond the normal mom stuff, like I have three kids, like I understand like, you know, how invested we become in our children. But this was like, she was really sucking them in. Her children were like <clears throat> very ill, very unhealthy, very drained, sickly kind of children because they couldn't, anytime they would start to thrive, she would like get whatever they were, whatever they were doing and kind of suck it up. Um, and I was like, wow, it's really hard to see a mother do that to her children. And that was really, I think that was the hardest one for me. So there really isn't any way that you can, how do you help the children in that situation? You know, I, I really couldn't, I, there wasn't much I could do. Right. I was working with the mom, you know, and, and really trying to teach her how to find energy sources other than her kids. Was she doing um, it, uh, was she doing it deliberately? I don't think she was. I think she was completely unconscious of the fact that she was doing that. Um, the predatory vampires are—they're really conscious. They're really aware, and they're—they're they're doing it on purpose. They're mm -hmm. like thinking about it, you know. And most of the time, ninety percent of the time, the victim vampires are doing it in a very unconscious way, and what, are actually horrified when they find out that they're—that they are like that. And when you know, I was able to sort of help her see that maybe that was happening, and she did. She did try really hard to change her ways, and, and I think she did a pretty good job. So um, she learned how to have a, her own life. Like, it basically comes down to needing to have your own life. She started therapy. She mm -hmm. started yoga classes. She started eating properly, like meditating and doing all the things we need to do to refill our own energy stores. She, got, she definitely improved and got a lot better. So what would you have classified her as? I mean, you're saying she's not doing it. Um, on purpose, she's not necessarily a predatory. She wasn't playing no, a victim. No, but she was a victim. She was. She was more of the victim kind. Yeah, she really was feeling like, like life was really hard for her, and, mm. and the only pleasure she had was from her kids, and just she kind of suffocating them. Sucking. Yeah, exactly. And you probably saw all that a lot as well growing up. A lot of kids come back. Uh, they grow up to adulthood and say, "I had these overbearing parents, or I had these parents who were constantly pushing me down," and and right. were those type of situations. Or my parent parent was a narcissist, mm. you know, that kind of, and then she was probably in that category. So highly sensitive people then are more prone to attract them. How does that, yes. how does that work? So, I mean, how do they find, if, if they are not sensitive in their own, you're saying that primarily the, these vampires are also sensitive? How do they find the sensitive folks? Well, the predatory vampires are psychic, so they're kind of like, like hunters are, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So they're they're very attuned to looking for like the weakest person in the crowd and they'll um use their 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 psychic ability, their intuition um to find a per like a a good candidate for that. And then they also will use their strong intuition and psychic ability to figure out who it is that you they need to become so that you sort of take them on. You know, um what, what's really interesting is that there's another type of energy vampire sort of in the fourth category that are empaths and sensitives who have become so drained that they now are energy vampires. Mm. So I, I teach these, you know, do these workshops, and a lot of times my workshops are full of empaths and sensitives who are complaining about energy vampires. And there's always this, like, tricky moment where I have to, like, hold their hands and say, okay, Folks, you got to look in the mirror and make sure you're not doing this. Make sure, think about like the, the Hollywood or the, the, the mythological version of vampires. So what happens is a, a predatory vampire finds a victim, usually a willing victim. They suck the life out of them until they're 
without blood in them, and they, that person who is got drained now becomes a vampire. That's right. how little baby vampires are made, right? Absolutely. So that can happen to um, to empaths and sensitives. If you've had a really long exposure to somebody who's draining your energy, you have to make sure you haven't now become so empty that you are now an energy vampire yourself. Or you might be the kind of empath or sensitive who's like a healer. I see these types a lot in when I'm teaching Reiki and teaching healers. And you're just giving, 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 giving so much that you're so empty that now you have to sort of steal energy. Honestly, honestly, Pete, I think we, we all unconsciously steal energy from people, from everyone. Sure. Everyone's guilty of doing it at some point. And because the, the last kind of energy vampire is what I call a situational energy vampire. And that's like... Any can it happen to anyone? If you're really down on your luck, if you if you lose your job or you're going through a divorce or you have a terrible health diagnosis and you're really under the gun, you will become a situational energy vampire just for that time where you're so flat out that you are now taking energy from other people. And I think that so I think it can happen to anybody, and mostly because we are not taught how to manage our energy. We're not nobody knows how to do that. And a lot of the work that I do with people is to teach them how to manage their energy. How do we set boundaries? Because if you're sensitive and you're around energy vampires, you need to have boundaries, especially the predatory ones, but mm-hmm. even the needy ones require that you learn how to say no and set boundaries. And we that so we need that. We need boundaries and we we need to learn how to fill and replace our lost energy when we've when we've overgiven. What are some of the I know you had you had mentioned a little bit of the health effects uh, on, say, the children of, of that one woman. What are some of the health effects of kind of a long-term relationship with an energy vampire? It's really terrible for your health. People will be depressed, mm-hmm. have anxiety, sleep disorders, nightmares. If you have a predatory vampire, you're going to have, like, scary nightmares. You might feel, like, uh, occipital headaches if you're around, you know, sort of a throbby back-of-the-head headache. Um, you might have a sense of dread or a feeling of dread. If you dread seeing somebody, Mm -hmm. that's not a person that you should be around, you know? Um, A lot of times, if people have, like, the um, desire to cover up their belly, like, if you fold your arms across your solar plexus, that's where a lot of times energy vampires hook into you, you know? Uh So if you you don't feel comfortable around somebody and you cover that part of you, that may be a sign that you're around one. And also see, like, stomach problems, digestive issues for people, and, and sort of, like, lack of vitality or failure to failure to thrive, kind of, like, people get really run down. And how and often do you see that? I mean, you see that all the time. Somebody's, you can look across the room at a party, and you see people, two people will be talking, and then you can kind of see where the, the conversation's going, and one will cross their arms over their stomach, and... You know, you could look at it as being, um, I'm giving myself a self-hug, or you could look at it as I'm protecting myself from you. You say that, and I I just think about that all the time. It happens, it's happened to Uh me, obviously. I've had conversations where it's like, I'm done with this conversation. And your arm subconsciously just going to cross over your stomach. Right. That's that's really interesting. It's just this totally, like, unconscious way. that Now, if you have that and, like, the beginnings of an occipital headache, like that back of the head headache, Mm -hmm. you really probably want to get away from that person. So you said that you were talking about boundaries. Are there any other real concrete ways to protect yourself? Well, I think it's it's sort of a – there's many fronts that we have to do this on. So boundaries are important. And when I work with people, I teach them how to set an energetic boundary, like really using their energy field. Mm Mm-hmm. 
um, and, and maintaining a strong, light, like, outer edge to your energy field is, like, a little, like, we say, oh, put yourself in your bubble. <laughs> that, that works. It's really, um, really important. And then, you know, really boundaries are, it's a big fancy word for learning a lot of different ways to say no. If you're dealing with a needy vampire, then you have to learn how to say no. You have to make up your mind, okay, I'm going to I'm going over to see Aunt Mabel. She always sucks the life out of me. I'm just going to stay for 15 minutes. <laughs> and when I get there, I'm going to say, I'm so happy to see you. I only have 15 minutes, you know, and then you stick with that. And maybe you only go once a month and, you know, and maybe you have to like not answer the phone. I actually feel like technology, it's such an interesting thing because it's sort of a new, a new player in the, in the game here with energy vampires because technology itself can be an, a gigantic energy suck for energy sure drain you know like facebook and mm-hmm. your phone and like social media can suck the life out of you it's like almost a new category we have to consider and it could also be an ally you know if you use it properly so if you want a great way to set a boundary is to not answer your phone or let your don't let your phone ring i, I was so thrilled when i discovered the do not disturb function of my phone <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's like the ultimate boundary like i like you can't get to me you know what unless i want unless i'm open for business because this whole thing about being available 24 7 is terrible for people that don't have good boundaries well yeah when we were when we were kids i mean uh, we didn't have that technology we didn't have that 24 7 access so if i didn't want to talk to you i just didn't answer the phone the only way you could contact me was on the, the you know the corded phone that was attached in the kitchen but yep. so I didn't have a phone. My kids now, I have two kids of my own, and they both have cell phones, and those cell phones are permanently attached to their bodies. So yeah. all times of the night, my kids could be potentially looking at their phone. You know, they're, they're you know, almost fully grown now, so it's, it's kind of hard to say, put the phone away. But I absolutely right. agree with you that just that 24-7 potential negativity and Facebook, the best part of Facebook are the memes. The worst part is everything else. To me, yeah. I can I like laughing at the cat memes, but other than that, yeah, everything else is terrible. Uh, cat the, and Baby Yoda, pretty much that. <laughs> absolutely, my wife loves the Baby Yoda. <laughs> I, I love the Baby Yoda. It, too, so. it never gets funnier. But um, <laughs> so no, I I completely agree with that 100. percent That that technology is not doing us any favors with regards to kind of keeping your emotional stability and and those energy levels up. Because again, when I was young, if I had a bad day, I could go to sleep. I would not be bothered. I could wake up in the morning and I'm kind of refreshed and ready to go. And now right. you wake up and you're immediately looking at texts or or Facebook messages right. and see what what happened while you were asleep before you even had a cup of coffee. You know, for like sure that it's like so. But but on the other hand, if we get a grip on it, we can use it as a as a boundary, as a layer, as a barrier. You know, and you see that person who you don't want to talk to, you let it ring to voicemail mm-hmm. and you answer them the next day. I have a friend. And I really admire his boundaries. He will never get back. He, 24 hours, you won't even expect it, even a text, you know, phone call, email, nothing for 24 hours. And I just, I just know he's doing that to kind of protect him. His, um, you know, he's a sensitive person mm-hmm. and an empath and stuff. And he, he needs, he just has trained everybody to expect. So a lot of good boundaries is about training because we train people how to treat us. And if you're a person that's had terrible boundaries your whole life or been way too nice, way too overgiving, um, way too available, people get used to that. And then we kind of have to back that up a lot. Like if that's you, then you got to back that up. 
and start saying no and, and not answering until the next day. And people don't like it, but they will over time get used to it. And what's so interesting to me about this is that when you when people really learn how to hold a good boundary, what they find is that it creates respect. Do you ever notice that you really respect people that have a good boundary? Yeah, for sure. But I but I think what you're proposing here, Lisa, is really going against the current culture of, of at least the United States. The United States yeah. is, you know, you can't say no to people now. You can't say, you know, you, you have to answer immediately. You know, you have to be nice. Everything you, and if you're, and if by saying no, you automatically get the assumption that you are not a nice person. So you know, the way- I think there's, that's so true, and yet it doesn't have to be that way. I like, agree. We can- we can work through that, and there's there's kind of this like once you break that expectation, um, people people sort of get mad up front, but eventually they come to respect you. And you know, there's so much power. It's abs- I would say it's absolutely necessary. It's a hundred percent important to learn how to do that and to not sort of let yourself fall into the um, society standard here because you will get drained dry if you do that. I just think it's also important to find nice ways to say no, you know, yeah. like maybe no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Or, Oh, it's, I'd really love to help you, Pete, but you know, right now I'm super overcommitted. And even though I love what you're doing, I'm just not available for that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I totally like, will support you in another way or what, like there's so many ways that we can, I've had to, I've literally stood in the mirror and practice these saying these things. Oh, the other thing that I do that's super important for me is I almost never say yes in the moment. Uh, if somebody asks me to do something, I always say I'll get back to you tomorrow. Because if I really will always say yes in the moment, and that's not good. So I, I have to get in a room by myself with my calendar, and mm-hmm. I look at it all, and I think about it. And then I'm like, am, uh, am I a yes or a no to this idea? And, the, and then I can make a good decision that's supporting me and not falling into the I'm just going to automatically say yes category. No, I, I get that. Hundred percent, and I also try not to respond to emails or to messages immediately. In some cases, because a lot of times somebody is trying to to goad you into some type of confrontation, right. they're they're saying something inflammatory on purpose to you know to get that reaction, and so or um, they're trying to sell you something, or they're ex- trying they right. need, they need something, you know, and uh, it's fine. People hustle and they have their own agenda. That's the way of the world. But I think if we have Part of the thing that, that I that I think helped me was when I was young, I studied martial arts. So when I was in, in college, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time, like 10 years studying martial arts. And, um, and I feel like that has served me because it taught me how um, to not really fear confrontation in a way and also how to set up an energetic boundary. You know, like it, that's when I studied martial arts that I really learned how to use my energy and I, I can do it now where, and also because I'm an energy medicine practitioner, where I can bring up my my um, energy and hold it in a way where people don't mess with me, even though I'm kind of a cupcake on the inside. So once you disengage from this person, how do you stay away? How, how do you clean up your relationships uh, with, with a vampire? If you have a predatory vampire, um, you just have to get away. There's no really redeeming them, fixing them, healing them. Um, there, there, there's just like a clean, a clean cut is mm-hmm. the best thing you can do. Um, if you have a victim vampire, then it's the slow retraining their boundaries, like figuring out how to say no and, and really resetting the expectations. And then if you've been with an, a predatory energy vampire, you probably have a super bad case of PTSD coming out of it. 
And there's actually a pretty big movement right now in the people are writing books and doing YouTube videos on something called narcissistic abuse recovery. And if you look that up or you YouTube it, you'll find a lot of information about how to recover from narcissistic abuse. If you've been run over by an energy vampire, narcissist, or an extreme narcissist, or a psychopath, Mm -hmm. you're going to have a super bad case of PTSD. You're going to need help, probably therapy, healing, energy work, because those people their nervous systems get jacked up with its trauma. I mean, it's like like being in any kind of abusive relationship will give you trauma, you know? Right. And there's, there's definitely a recovery period uh, afterwards that you need to go through. What about the possibility that I'm an energy vampire myself? How do I self-identify? How, how, what are some strategies? How do I know if I am, and then how would I be able to recover? Can I recover from that? Yeah. Yeah, you can. It's such an interesting question. And when I started writing about this, my the topic of my next book, um, which is coming out this time next year, is it's called um, Energy Healing for Empaths, and it's, this is the main topic of that book. And once I, once I started doing talking about this on the radio and doing workshops, I, I was really only thinking that I was going to get people who are the victims of energy vampires. And I was shocked at how many energy vampires I got who were listening to me and wanting help, which I think is a fantastic, you know, to be that uh, self-aware and to realize that I have a problem. And yes, exactly. And, and it's like, I think you could look up, you know, what it means to be a narcissist and not just like mildly narcissistic, but to be like a raging narcissist, you know, you could look that up. And if you tick some of those boxes, you might go, you might want to think that you're an energy vampire. And I, I think that, um, like I worked with a couple once where the, the woman was an empath and the man was an energy vampire. And he had this moment where he, he realized that he, he didn't have any empathy for her and he wanted to learn. So he went to therapy and he got like almost like sensitivity training and he had to learn how to put himself in her shoes and to think about how she felt about things, which he really had never done before. You know, he, and he, the other thing that he did that I thought was beautiful was he started um, volunteering. He was a veteran and he was kind of, jacked up himself from mm-hmm. having been a combat veteran um so he needed he needed to do his own therapy and get out of his own ptsd and then he started volunteering and working with other veterans and he he said that was a very important part of recovering from being an energy vampire because he constantly had to put other people in front of himself and working hard to help his fellow veterans taught him how to be empathic so when and you he, are he had the most spectacular turnaround I'd ever seen on anybody it was beautiful well, that, that's good news then. That's good that there that there are things that, there are steps that we can take to recover. It is not a, yeah. you know, kind of a, I understand that it, in some cases it's probably almost addictive to be able to do that and to kind of pull that. I, I think so. Right? And then so at least yeah. you can, because you're right, to have that self-awareness to say, like anything, like it would be to, to say I'm an alcoholic, you know, to, ha- right. to say that I'm looking at this person and I, and I, I know that I'm harming them. And I don't care. Right. I don't have that empathy towards super, them. Super hard to do. It takes a lot of guts to do that or to say, I'm a narcissist. You so, know, narcissists are so vilified in our culture right now. It's like the worst thing you could call somebody absolutely. at this point, you know. And yet there's so gosh darn many of them that it's, there are a lot of people out there that ha- that need, that might, it might be dawning on them that that's how they are and they don't want to be that way. And it's odd, you know, maybe this is my me jumping on a soapbox here. It is odd because you're right. The society as a whole 
is kind of shunning the idea of narcissist. But I think a lot of these young parents are not helping in the creation. I mean, the, you know, every child is, is, is shiny and special and they're, you know, you're going to win at everything. You're going to get an award at everything. It's hard to say then that when you get older, you're not supposed to think that way anymore, that you, you're not supposed to have these, well, I've been told my whole life that I'm special and that I'm great and that the world's going to give me everything I need. I know. You know, maybe that's not It's also even way worse. Like I think in our country right now, we celebrate narcissism. Yes. So we like, we, we look, we, we look at them. There are now, there are celebrities and our, our role models Mm -hmm. that are really out there in the world right now really fall into that category. Like everyone's taking selfies and everyone's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And, and, you know, that whole like TV persona kind of not every, not all of them, of course, but you know, you know, there's plenty of them out there mm-hmm. that it's like our culture worships narcissism in a lot of ways. Right. And so it's a weird, uh, weird, because it, 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 it completely conflicts to say that, yep. you know, we're going to call you a narcissist and that's a bad thing, but we're going to build you that way. We're going to make you that way. So my other question then is um, with regards to when you are talking to people who have self-identified and they say that they need some help and they want some help, do you go in and also kind of look at their background or their history and see if maybe this was something that happened to them as, as a child and kind of use that to build a foundation? I do. And I, I feel like it's everything is an opportunity for healing, you know. So when I do healing work with people, I just start with wherever they are. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's fantastic that you know that about yourself. And I, I do have, like, a theory about um, how our souls evolve as humans, you know, and that new souls come on the planet um, as pretty narcissistic. And then middle soul, like, you have a few of those lifetimes. And mi- then you get to middle soul, which is a lot more about understanding the consequences of our actions, mostly through suffering, <laughs> By experiencing pain, you know, and mm-hmm. then we get to old soul. The old souls are the empaths and the sensitives. Um, so the longer you've been inc- incarnating on this planet, the more compassionate and empathic you become. So I don't see it so much as a, in my own mind as a judgment. It's like we don't, we're not mad at kindergartners for being kindergarten, right? They're just learning. It's like everyone comes onto this planet as a, a, a newbie soul, as a narcissist. And and they're here to learn compassion, and that's where they start. So I I'm like, okay, well, that's where we start then. It's you know, what's that like for you? What happened to you? And narcissism often comes from a very under underdeveloped sense of self, you know. So you think it's they're all me, 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 but underneath that, they can't really feel themselves. I think it feels horrible, you for know. Sure. It feels horrible, and so that. Um, okay, let's build your sense of self. Let's give you a healthy sense of self. Let's teach you empathy. You know, let's do that. Um, and and that's, I think, I think that works. If they, if you want to go, if you want to grow, and the really predatory ones, um, they don't have any desire. They don't see anything is wrong with them. They're, you're the problem. You know, if you're stupid enough to get caught by them, then that that's your on you. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of times how they feel. So my wife. Uh, I would think it falls right into a lot of what we've been talking about tonight. I, I do find her to be uh, an empath, an incredible empath. And she has several people in her life that have kind of been pulling at her and draining that for our, we've been married 20 years, for our entire married lives. She has family members and relatives that she is physically ill 
a lot, uh, all the time. She mm-hmm. does have those those interactions with these family members where at the end of it, she is physically and emotionally drained and ill. What kind of advice would you give to that person who it isn't just one? You know, it isn't. And then uh, quite honestly, I feel like then I am supplying some of my energy to try to replenish what they've taken from her. You know, see how that's a weird cycle, right? Oh, yeah. What would you yeah, suggest? That. Again, what kind of the first steps that, that somebody like that could take to rebuild themselves? So there's a couple of things. One, the, one of the most important things are to learn, like, the basic energy management fundamentals, how to ground yourself, how to clear the energy you picked up from other people, how to, how to refill and replace lost energy, and then how to set your bubble up. And this is foundational practices that every empath needs to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you know that, and it, it's easy, very easy to do, it's sort of like changing the habit, your habit from being a sponge. So empaths are like the psychic sponges of the world. And they're all, all empaths are meant to be healers, helpers, caregivers. All empaths are old souls. We're here to help people. And because we have big hearts and gentle spirits and we're really full of love and then we have these weak porous boundary energy the energy outer edge of our energy field is like a sponge we we attract people that need healing you know um and so the first thing is to learn how to those basic energy management fundamentals i usually do use like a guided meditation and breathing techniques to help people learn how to change the habit of being spongy to Mm -hmm. change the habit of having more of a container around you you know um that's the first thing and then the second thing is to add self-care into her routine so send her to the spa send her make sure she gets an app when she needs one you know um she has to learn to manage her energy be out being outside in nature is very helpful um being alone is something that a lot of times empaths need um getting clearing yourself by get, having a shower with some salt scrub or getting in a, a bathtub filled with salt water these kind of daily self-care things will put, if you think about like your car, like you drive your car, gas comes out of your gas tank, mm-hmm. you have to stop and put gas back in the car. You don't expect your car to drive with no gas. But empaths and many people here don't know that they have to fill themselves. They think they can drive forever on an empty tank. And I really think that's the root cause of why we all steal energy from each other anyway, because you know, your your wife gets very empty and depleted, and then you're donating some of your energy to her, right. you know? For sure. And if, if, you, if she knew how to fill herself, you know, if she knew how to manage, and nobody's ever taught this is why I'm writing this book, you know, so, pe- so everyone can figure out how to do it. If she can shield herself and fill herself, she can be out in the world and do anything she wants to do, and she's going to be okay. Well, I appreciate that. So a few more questions, if it's okay. And I'd like to actually pivot sure. slightly to... Reiki. I'm not familiar with uh, psychic Reiki and what that really entails. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is? Sure, yeah. So Reiki is a great question. Thank you for asking. Reiki is a very gentle, hands-on energy healing technique from Japan. Mm -hmm. It's been around for quite a while. And it's like I live in Boston, you know, and there's all these big city hospitals here, and we have some of the best hospitals in the world, and almost all of them have Reiki practitioners. You go to the hospital and they have a whole staff of people that are going to do Reiki on you. And it's a little bit like you could think about it like acupuncture without needles. The practitioner learns how to fill loss or missing energy or to move energy much the way that an acupuncturist would do. 
you know, it's very beneficial for pain management, anxiety, depression. It's used in the hospitals pre and post surgery, in the chemo units at Dana Farber here in Boston. You you can have Reiki while you're receiving a cancer treatment. Um, so it's, it's really beautiful. Are you moving your own energy, or are you or, or is the practitioner supplying additional energy? It's actually um, using this universal life force energy. Okay. So opposite to that so you're not actually using your own energy at all we, we want to get away from that that's why it's so good for empaths and other sensitives to learn how to do reiki because you can then have something to give that's not you we don't really want to give our own energy we have like a limited mm-hmm. supply of it it's like our blood you know like you don't want to give all your blood you need it for yourself so a reiki practitioner learns how to tap into this universal life this you this unlimited supply of universal life force energy that's around us and that's what they're giving to the other person. And does it have to be an empath or psychic? I, I, I don't. I wouldn't consider myself psychic. I'm not able to do Anyone it. Anyone can learn. Okay, Anyone great. Can learn Reiki. Right answer. Yeah, I've taught. <laughs> I've taught hundreds, hundreds, maybe a thousand people how awesome. to do Reiki, and everyone from. I've never had. I've taught little kids and. Um, you know, firefighters and police and nurses, doctors, just anyone can learn it. You don't have to be psychic. The reason my book is called The Art of Psychic Reiki is because I do both things. So I, I work as a psychic and I train psychics and I train Reiki people. And what I noticed is that in learning Reiki, a lot of people who have latent psychic ability, their psychic ability pops open. And they, they're doing, all of a sudden, they're having psychic experiences as part of their journey in learning Reiki and they don't know how what to do with that. So empaths and sensitives tend to get more sensitive. People with latent psychic ability tend to get more psychic. And no one was talking about it. No one was teaching that. No one. And, and I met somebody once who was like, oh, I learned Reiki, but I stopped. I stopped because it made me too psychic and it scared the crap out of me. So I quit doing it. So well, you, what do you do at that point? What, what do you do then? I, How do you well, teach? How do you re- teach psychics? How do you teach them to, to you know, build themselves up? It's really, um, it's like learning anything. It's like you practice. So you need to know some stuff. You need mm-hmm. to have the right information. And then, and so you need to understand that there's a lot of myths and misconceptions about what psychic is and what it's like. It's very natural. It's very, like, easy. Um, it's not like, you know, having a seizure and flopping around on the floor and <laughs> having a fit. It's like a knowing, like an inner knowing, like, oh, I, if you've ever said, I knew that was going to happen or I have a good feeling or a bad feeling about that. If you've ever know, seen something in a dream and had it come true, if you've ever felt like creeped out in somebody's house, you know, th- those are all like the beginnings. If you ever, like my Reiki people see colors around people when they're giving Reiki sessions, um, that's how it begins. And then you take that and you can build by doing meditations. Meditating is a fantastic way to open your psychic. So there's, it's like a skill like any other skill. There's things you need to know and then you need to practice. I mean, I definitely believe in the idea of intuition, you know, kind of trusting your gut. And I, I know I've I've said yep. it on a previous show with with my daughter that, you know, if you walk up on somebody and you're talking to them and your gut is telling you that something is wrong with them, trust it. That, you know, that right. it's not going to lead you wrong. And, and, exactly. and move yourself out of there as quickly as you possibly can. A lot of people well, now— Good for you for teaching your daughter that. Oh, That's absolutely. Very, absolutely. Yeah. you kidding me? Um yeah, I mean, I was a, I was in the, in the Marine Corps myself, so I I have kind of yeah I kind of got to that point where you could you could talk to somebody and you could get a sense of 
it's not a good person. You can feel it. And it is very important to to trust yourself and trust your those gut instincts and that intuition and, and kind of move on and, and pull yourself well, away. All good warriors are super intuitive. My son, thank you for your service. Oh, thanks. I'm a Marine mom. My son was in the Marines. He just came out in uh, the summer. He cycled out after his four years. So... I have a soft spot for, I have a soft spot for Marines. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Well, thank you. So when you're talking about this life force, uh, I have just a couple more questions. See, uh, you really got my, my brain going here today. This is great. Uh, when you're talking about life force, is that what you also mean? Is that where we're coming from with regards to reincarnation? Or is that kind of, kind of thing we're tapping into to reincarnate? I'm I assuming it, you believe in reincarnation. Oh, yeah, I totally do. Yeah, I think it's related. So I think of life force is more like the, the energy that animates us, the chi that makes us alive. It's like, it's sort of like the force in Star Wars. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like that kind of concept that that animates us, that fills us. And reincarnation is more of like a an, an aspect of our soul. So our soul is the part of us that exists beyond the what you look in the mirror right now. It's like the core essential nature of who you are, like you might well have like a warrior spirit because you were in the Marines. Mm-hmm. You might have had a call. You might have been a warrior in many of your past lives. So just like I've been a healer in many of mine. Do you know what I mean? Like our, our soul's core has its essence. It doesn't change between lifetime and between lifetimes. We're always growing. We're always learning. And I think that mostly our lifetimes are opportunities for us to experience, to grow, to learn, to you know, create connections with people to experience love. And I think it's all about that, really. So if, if the, I, I can understand the core not changing. If the core doesn't change, why do the memories fade? Why do we not have the memory of those past experiences? Honey, if you remember every single one of your lifetimes, you'd be curled in a ball in right? the corner sucking your thumb. Yeah, I guess I can, yeah. I guess I can see that. But <laughs> it also like, seems like you, the only time anybody ever remembers anything is when some psychiatrist has been in there tinkering around in their brain and then suddenly they we remember. remember oh, we remember our, on our own a lot. So, like, you may, you would have a memory if you really felt like you recognized somebody. If you, when you meet a soulmate, which is a soul mm-hmm. connection with somebody, you always know. You always like, how did I, I you, that person feels so familiar. Or, I, I don't know, where did we meet before? Like, I once spent, like, a half an hour trying to figure out where I had met this person. Like, did we go to college together? Did we... She grew up in my neighborhood, like, and we never could find a connection. There was a soul connection. It was a soulmate thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, every, if you've ever been called, like, you, um, you know, you might have been really, like, de- desiring to visit a place. Like, I really, for, I had to go to Hawaii. I mean, everyone wants to go to Hawaii. But as soon as I went to Hawaii, I was like, I've been here before. You know, like, we, yeah. we and sometimes we pull trauma. We pull things that are hard, like, from our past lives, like, tricky relationships that you have pain or phobias that you have, um, issues that you can't figure out why you have that make no sense, you might be pulling them forward into this lifetime to deal with it. Because, like, karma is just like leftovers. Whatever you couldn't process in one of your lifetimes, you're bringing it into you like your baggage. You're bringing it into you in this lifetime to try to get another chance to work it through. Fantastic. Well, I mean, wow, that our time kind of went really, really fast. Um, thank you so much, Lisa, for joining the show today and providing me a, a unique view on the topic. I don't think I got even really everything I, I would have liked to have talked about. Maybe we can come back in and, and talk again sure. in a future Anytime. episode. Uh, just kind of go so many places. When you you kind of threw me off when you said you could see my color. That that I was like, wow, that's awesome to me that you can see somebody's energy or somebody's aura and you could see it being taken away. Uh, that's something else I'd. I want to talk to you about it another time, I think. But sure. um, 
Is there anything else? Would, would you like to spend another moment and, and let the listeners know again how to find you? Obviously, your, your webpage is uh, lisacampion.com. And you do have a yep. book out, the, the Art of Psychic Reiki is your current book. And you're saying you have another book yep. on the way regarding on the way. energy vampires. Yeah, that one's gonna, it's coming out about this time next year, and that will be called um, Energy Healing for Empaths. But you can find my book on Amazon or really any bookstore I think carries it also. And, yeah, come by, come by and visit me. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter, all the usual um, social media outlets. And I do have quite a lot of free resources on my um, website for um, empaths and sensitives. I have a free video series. It's a four-hour video series on learning mm-hmm. how to manage. We should get your wife that. Like, get her, get her on my website and, and download that little free class because it'll help her learn these basic things we talked about, like grounding, clearing, protecting, help her understand her nature as an empath. So I like, I like to help out my people, and I have a lot of free stuff there. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Well, well, thank you so much. Once again, I really appreciated the discussion today. And again, hopefully we can uh, get together again once your, your other book comes out and we can talk some more. But that would uh, be great. thank you so much, Lisa. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you, Pete. You have a good evening. Bye. Thanks. So once again, that was Lisa Campion. We're talking about energy vampires. We talked about uh, psychic Reiki. We talked about reincarnation a, a bit there, life force energy in general. Uh, we, we could have gone a lot of different ways. What are your thoughts on that? I think, again, once she started to talk about some of the interactions with the psychic vampires and some of the impacts and effects of that on you, uh, that's really, really kind of hit home with me. And, and you started to go into that mental Rolodex and you could remember situations like that where you just, you had an interaction with somebody or maybe you had a tough day at work and then you came home and the first thing that happened, boom, you were out. You fell asleep like a light or you had that headache in the back of your head. And, you know, we've always just kind of thought of it as being, oh, I'm just worn out. I just, you know, it was a tough day. It was a rough day. Maybe it wasn't just that. Maybe somebody else did come along and attach themselves to you and pull some of that life force out. And it's something that we need to work on uh, boundaries to get ourselves back where we should be to, to kind of lead a healthy life. So what are your thoughts again on that? You can contact us through the Prove Me Wrong email account. It's provemewrongcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. It's just Prove Me Wrong. Instagram, Prove Me Wrong. We have a YouTube page as well. You can like and subscribe to the YouTube page uh, at the bottom of the screen if you're watching online. Uh, Or if you just want to hear the podcast or find more content You can find us on any podcast app um, where you find podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, anywhere where you find podcasts, you can find the Prove Me Wrong podcast. Like and subscribe there as well, and you will be the first person to get new content when it comes out. So you can kind of be right there on the front line, you know, not necessarily having to, you know, find the information. It'll be given to you. So what are your thoughts You can contact us uh, any of the ways that I mentioned. So before we head out for the day, let me say one last time that this episode of the Prove Me Wrong podcast is brought to you by Zendo's own Citronella Burners from J.T. Eaton. They are shaped like fearless little tiki gods. So let Surf and Stan, Hawaiian Howie, and Luau Lily bring the islands to your backyard with Zendo's own Citronella Burners. Zendo's own uses natural 3% citronella candles and incense cones. They're perfect for patios, decks, backyards, campsites, poolside, and more. You can enjoy the outdoors again. 
They are available now on Amazon and at Ace Hardware. Go ahead and collect them all today. So for Lisa Campion, once again, it's lisacampion.com. Spell it just like champion without the H. Uh, I'm Pete Lieb, and we hope to see you again soon.